How much money were you making when you were starting off the side hustle? I think when I first started, I was only doing jobs for like maybe $1,000, $1,500. What valuation would you put on the event group? The event group, wow, we do a lot of big jobs annually and that US dollar really helps. So I would say we're probably close to about $2 million in worth. How do you deal with those doubters who might have those stereotypes? against you. I'm not really focused on what other people are are saying and who who's doubting me. What was that like first wow moment for you when launching We Rise Experience? Just the gratitude that I was feeling and getting from these women that I don't even know. Hello and welcome to Toss Over Everything Podcast. This is the podcast where you receive stories, tips, and tactics from entrepreneurs who have done it. I'm Alex. And I'm Ono Sende. And today we have another treat for you. We got a banger loaded up over Listen, here, bro. Yo, we've been coming hard for a few Oh man, back to back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we have the event specialist. You know what I'm saying? Someone who is carving their own lane in the city, not in the city, internationally, as one of the go-to event specialists nationwide, internationally. We have Teresa Lee Brown. Event maestro. You know what I'm saying? Hold on, hold on. Let me put some sauce in because she's, she's the CEO of Lee Event Group. She's a person behind We Rise Experience. Mm-hmm. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic, yo. Um, honestly, there's a few things I want to talk about in, your, in this episode today because you have an amazing journey. You know, you've conquered a lot. You've been through a lot. You know, researching for, for your episode, at first I was like, man, I want to learn about events. Mm-hmm. But then looking into you, seeing that you've survived cancer, you know, seeing that you were a teenage mom, seeing that, you know, you've built a team out and have so much experience being a professional there's so much that we can talk about so mm-hmm. i'm really excited to talk about your story because you know you've accomplished a lot and you have a lot of wisdom that comes with that mm-hmm. you know so i want to start off in the early days you know talk to us about managing being a, a mom and going to college and university wow I don't even know where to start. That was probably the beginning to the fire that was just burning inside of me. You know, I I had this innocent child and that person was depending on me to be successful. And I used that as the motivation and fuel that I needed to start the journey. When I was in high school, I was really, really strong in like mathematics and all of my like math classes, I was always at the top of the class. So naturally, I just thought that, you know, it would be the easiest route for me to go to post-secondary taking something in accounting because at the time I was a single mom. So I really didn't know, you know, how to navigate myself through that. And so essentially, I just, you know, started off um, taking that program and, you know, going through the day-to-day and what I needed to do. But I, I did a lot of my initial journey by myself. So, you know, going to school, putting chairs together, putting my son on the chairs to sleep because I couldn't even afford a computer. So I had to use a computer lab back in the day. But again, I was just like super focused on like graduating and providing him with like the best life that he deserved because he didn't ask to come here. So mm-hmm. it was a challenge, but it was like the first hurdle I jumped in that mm-hmm. marathon. How do you like rise to the occasion you know, your back is against the wall and you've got to manage this like every single day because this child is here forever. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that pressure? 
day in, day out, knowing that I got to do this, I got to do that. And I have to do it at the highest degree possible because there's no room for error. I mean, really, I just motivated myself by looking at him. I stayed prayed up. Like, I prayed a lot. I read mm-hmm. my Bible a lot. And I leaned on the village that I had. So the support system, whether it was friends or family, even teachers, you know. And I guess that would kind of navigate me through that second hurdle where I just learned the art of asking and really just being focused on that end goal and not having any pride to, to get to where I needed to go to. What lessons did you learn from that experience? Just to stay focused. And it doesn't matter the cards that you're dealt. You can still come up with a winning hand, I would say for me, yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there moments you had doubt that you might not come up with a winning hand? Absolutely. There's plenty of times that I like cried myself to sleep or, you know, didn't know where things were going to be in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. But I I really just tried to keep a positive mindset and just continue to remind myself that my son was depending on me to be successful and whatever that success looked like. It doesn't necessarily have to be monetary, but just being able to provide that level of comfort that we deserved and just those necessities. Yeah. Shout out to moms. You know, like you have a lot of pressure on you. You've got to do everything. I remember even just seeing my mom like growing up. There's something that I've always felt that moms have internally when they've got to do things and they've got to make it happen. There's like a certain superpower that, you know, moms tap into that. I don't even know where they get. I'm like, why isn't, you know, dad, like, look, look at what she's doing. <laughs> you know, like, why don't you have this super role? Like you can, you can juggle so many plates at once. And it's super admirable just being a child and seeing your mom do that. It makes you want to work hard. It makes you want to go after it and all these different things that come with it. So no, toast to you for for doing all you can do at the time. And, uh, you know, look at where you are now, right? So thank you. Killing thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> so let's fast forward a bit, you know, um, from doing the research, you started, you know, your event company while maintaining a full-time job. Yes, I did. Walk us through that, like trying to balance the side hustle with the main hustle. How was that experience for you? So the main hustle was the goal for the longest time, right? I started off kind of in a junior position in accounting and, you know, I'm really aggressive and I'm very determined. It's kind of my personality. Mm -hmm. So I moved up the ladder relatively quickly in my main hustle and I ended up getting to the point of being a VP of the company that I was working for. They exposed me to, you know, the art of event planning and I didn't think that I would love it. I just was very organized and had the ability to multitask and I took that on. But at the end of the day, I unfortunately, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And while I was recovering, I really made the decision to really drive energy into my side hustle. So just to take a step back, when I was working my main job, I was doing like sales conferences and like birthday parties or like internal, you know, events for them. And that's kind of where things grew for me. And then, you know, I decided that I wanted to create this, I guess, intro to the second hustle into like a a career. Um, When I was diagnosed and I was in the hospital, I just remember telling myself that I just wasn't fulfilled I wasn't happy with you know the way that I was going with my let's call it nine to five and I just decided that I wasn't going back to work I was going to run with you know Lee event group on a full-time basis and I'm just going to take a risk I had no plan no business plan literally had no savings we had just bought a house and I had to look at my husband and say like hey 
guess what? I'm not going back to the six-figure job that I was working. <laughs> I know that I only started this part-time, yeah. but I'm going to run with it. And he backed me, and and literally, that's what I did. Once I recovered from my cancer, I just drove all my energy into Lee Event Group. Wow. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> wow. That's that's a lot. That's insane. That's a lot. First off, shout out to you, man. Shout out to Kevin in the back. Hug you in the back. You know, shout out to you for, for being like such a support. And you know, shout out to you for making it through and making that decision as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So break down the confidence. Like, where did that confidence um originate from? Because you can have imposter syndrome during that time period where you're just healing from cancer and you're like, all right, now I want to take this full time. Where did that confidence come from? Where did you know that this was your talent? I would say that I was getting a lot of feedback from like those few jobs that I was doing. So um, at the time of the transition, or let's call it breakup from my main hustle to Lee Event Group going full time, I had started to dabble in like public work. So events that were outside of my company mm-hmm. um, that I was working for. And a lot of people were like, you're a natural at this and you really should run with it. And I feel like the confidence came because I was able to use some of my transferable skills into my, you know, full-time career or new career. And with a combination of just what people were saying, I feel like it was just an organic move for me. Yeah. Um, and I think all of those facets really gave me the confidence that I needed. And then of course the icing on the cake is having having the support from like your spouse and your, like your immediate family because it is a huge ask. Right. But once they kind of give you that seal of approval, seal of approval, you feel like you are unstoppable and you're able to do what you need to do. Mm, amazing. Like It must take like a lot, as Alex said, a lot of confidence. Were you thinking about one day going full time into entrepreneurship, even though you came into this amazing cushy job, you're making good money um, and then leaving that was being a full time entrepreneur, like one of your early dreams that you had even before getting the job that you had at the time? Absolutely not. I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. I come from a family that has really just instilled great values, mm-hmm. but they have really said, you know, that you have to follow that traditional sense. You go to school, you get a great job, you make as much money as you can, you buy a house, you get married, you're successful. But I think um, God had his, his own plan for me. And, you know, introducing me to events through that traditional job that I was in was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, it was something that I never ever considered as an option. And it's not something that's even in my you know immediate circle at that time. Yeah, you know, when you think about event planners uh, and event organizers or someone who's putting something, taking an idea and putting it into a reality, what did you feel like was your greatest strength from like a creative standpoint? Like, what did you say, you know, I as Teresa, this is going to be my special sauce when I do an event for anybody. Um, I think I have a few, but I think the most important for me probably would be having a very eclectic insert into the events that I do. So what I mean by that is in terms of like giving people a very lavish event, Mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily breaking the bank. I feel like, you know, that money and, you know, sense is always in the back of my head because that's what I have by education. Mm -hmm. So I'm always up for the challenge to curate these, you know, magnificent events, but not necessarily have that equate to what you would think is going to be something relatively expensive. So mixing, you know, a few pieces or a few things that are relatively expensive, but at a very cost effective price point. I think another thing too, was really at that time uh, when I had started Lee Event Group, there wasn't anyone that looked like me in the industry. 
So that was another driving force for me was to really provide um, these events and curating um, something as exceptional as other communities were, but giving it to my community as well and keeping in the mindset that our community doesn't necessarily have access to certain things or certain understandings or certain financials that maybe other communities do and not allowing them to feel that they are not deserving because they don't necessarily have those um, accessibility points in, you know, in our community. So how much money were you making when you were starting off the side hustle? Like what was the average event making for you? You being in the actual position of event planning? Yeah. I think when I first started, I was only doing jobs for like maybe a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred. You know, I was relatively new, so I was scared to do a lot of uh, like full planning. So I did a lot of coordinations to start. So there's mm-hmm. a very big difference between, you know, a, a coordinator versus a planner. And essentially the way it ruled for me was like I was a coordinator first, fifteen hundred thousand dollars per job ish. And then I introduced myself to like partial planning which is kind of coordination and then some planning but the client has already done some of Mm -hmm. theirs and then made segued myself to event planning and obviously event designer now so yeah back then it wasn't as much because I was trying to I was very focused on quantity not so much quality and I felt like taking the most jobs would give me the most experience but in retrospect that wasn't a good idea at all was it like a lot of burnout or something I was extremely burned out but I was working so much that I wasn't absorbing things so I wasn't really getting the understanding of like what I was doing well versus what I was doing wrong because I was just on to the next job so you know I was afforded the opportunity to do a lot of events quantity wise at the beginning and I still am but it just wasn't the best form or introduction into the actual industry itself mm-hmm. and if someone were to be starting like right now would you advise them to be doing taking that path towards learning and becoming like a master event extraordinaire like would you tell them to do that path or is there like a shorter path now that you have the experience from where you're at now now looking back i think things have evolved you know since i started and i mean if someone is is doing it now which i you know currently do as mentor Mm -hmm. is I would recommend that anyone that's new get a mentor you know um, there's different facets of mentorship Mm -hmm. in the event world but definitely intern you know shadow and you have the resources now to really prepare yourself for entry into you know the event world itself yeah and I can't wait to dive into the advice for young creators that's going to be, I think, one of the most useful aspects of the show. But I want to get into your business model right now, you know, because you have, what, three businesses right now? Yes. And, you know, well, first off, I'd love to ask you, what valuation would you put on Lee Event Group? Lee Event Group, wow, we do a lot of big jobs annually, and that U.S. dollar really helps. So I would say we're probably close to about $2 million in worth. I mean, this we're talking about 13 years now, so yeah, $2 million. Let's talk about the events to start right Mm -hmm. what's the usual business model for event planners essentially you know our business model i think business models vary for me we do planning management and design so that has opened up a lot of revenue streams for us we're not just doing um, event planning so i think from an event planning perspective really we just are really kind of like focused on the core aspects of bringing um, social corporate and weddings together Um, right now my business represents about a 60 40 so we're about 40 percent wedding 60 percent corporate and then design Design um, makes up another portion of that. So I guess that's kind of like a high level overview in terms of the model itself. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching the show. 
We have some amazing merch live on our website right now. My personal favorite is the Definition Tee. You can go find it in the link below. And if you don't like that, you can explore some other products on our website. All right, so you're telling us about ghost designing, which is something I've never heard of before. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so I'm a ghost event designer, a ghost event planner. Essentially, it would be equivalent to a ghostwriter. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, companies will pay us uh, or subcontract us to put on their events. So we do events for TIFF, Art Basel, New York Fashion Week, pre-Grammy Week, etc. And often PR agencies will just contract us. They will sell the service of event planning, but they don't have an in-house event planner or event designer or event manager, depending on what they're looking for. And then what that does for us is they will just subcontract us under their brand of course there's lots of documents to sign a lot of ndas to sign but essentially we're producing the event we're getting you know our check and at the end of the day that we do a lot of so for our 60 percent of our business that is corporate i would say about 40 to 45 percent of the 60 percent of the corporate is ghost Mm. how do you uh balance the you know the feeling of like maybe not getting credit Cause if I'm like putting these events and like, damn, like I really, I really body that event for you. I'm like, I did, I did that. That's me. (laughs) How do you look back and like, man, I want some credit. I want people to know who Teresa is. That my name is behind it. But you're just getting the money. Do you sometimes struggle with maybe not getting credit for the things that you're doing for others that turn out way better than you expected? And um, you know, how do you process that internally with your team? Well, I'll just start with the second question first. Mm -hmm. So internally with my team, there's um, a lot of documents that they need to sign to work for me I do a very extensive background check so I'm not posting a job you know post on Kijiji or just hiring somebody for the moment Um, essentially I have an internal uh, syllabus that I have created and I take Mm -hmm. them through a four to six month um, internal training process and they work with myself or one of the other leaders on the team and we do that for a few reasons one to just see if what they're saying on resume is factual Um, we're also using it to see what their strengths and weaknesses are we're also using it to see if they are placed in the right aspect of the business because they might have applied for an event planning role but then after the four to six months training I realized that they're stronger for event design I know I'm elaborating a little bit more here but in terms of like some of the girls on my team some of the girls that we have determined they have they can sketch or they have access to like doing rendering so I'm like why did you apply for an event planning role your strengths lie somewhere else so we kind of do that and then at the end of that you know there's like a whole program and questionnaire and things that we do internally but that to be said they have to sign a series of documents so they're aware from the very beginning what the expectation is and what you know could potentially happen you might be doing more than a wedding you more might be doing more than just a social event um, and this is what you have to be you know you're signing up for mm-hmm. they're prepared to also understand that some of the events we do we take their phones or they just don't have access to their phones um, so and they know that it's a breach of their employment contract with me if they're ever caught doing any of that so I mean all of my internal documents are handled by my, my legal team so mm-hmm. they're aware um, I can't run that risk in terms of your fir- the first part of your question it doesn't bother me anymore because I'm already past that whole ideology of being focused on accolades we need credit for it yeah I, I mean I'm seasoned I'm good at what I do and and if you know what I do you know I'm good at it mm-hmm. so and that it speaks to the business itself and it speaks to the clients that we represent so I'm at a different stage I'm a lot more focused on just you know having multiple
multiple revenue streams and trying to grow the business from what it was, you know, even 12, 13 years ago. So, you know, not having accessibility to photos and videos or the content that I may need, it's fine. There's always some level of compromise to some extent when I am signing as a ghost, but I just can't publicly post things. But in my media kit or my press kit, there are references to, uh, you know, some of these exquisite events that we've Mm -hmm. done. Yeah, that's a ruthless six month process. Like, and I'm curious, do people ever get past the six month? Like compared to, okay, they made it through to the people who started it and didn't make it through. Like, give us that ratio. If you could like really look at that and tell us, okay, this is the numbers that people, hey, you're not cut out to be part of my team and the people who end up going to and, uh, you know, staying with you forever and being part of your team. That comes to mind. We only have two people that I've cut like immediately. There's just no room for error when it comes to me. This is not a hobby. This is my livelihood, you know, and it's my name that's on the, you know, in the office, on the building, on the door, on the business card, on the website. So although we go through a very rigorous you know interview process and hope that we're able to like screen people the best way possible there are some people that are just they weren't let go because they weren't qualified they were let go because they didn't follow the rules and because they didn't follow the rules during that training process then what am i what is it going to be like when you go in the field Mm -hmm. you know so just two everyone else has successfully you know passed that four to six month internal training process yeah it sounds like you have a very short leash on on understanding (laughs) hey if you're cut out for this if you're not cut out of this like hey this might not be good for you yeah i i do i'm known to have like a no-nonsense attitude and i think it just comes with its own set of pressure and stereotype like i said when i started over a decade ago there wasn't anyone that looked like me and you know for me i felt that we had a lot of stereotypes you know, as um, business owners, you know, and just not being as successful in delivering our services and products or whatever we brought to the forefront have always been, you know, minimalized or overlooked or not taken seriously. So I think that's where that pressure has come into play with me because I'm like, we have to set the bar extremely high because I don't want one, any room for error, and two, I just don't want to fall into any of the stereotypes, you know, that we may have had in the past, not the event group, but I mean, as a community mm-hmm. um, for running businesses. So that's why I, I run a very tight ship, but it mm-hmm. works. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, um, how do you deal with those doubters who might have those stereotypes against you? I'm not really focused on what other people are are saying and who who's doubting me. You're always going to have people that are going to doubt you, especially when you're moving yourself up you know, up that mountain, up that ladder. And for me, the more doubters I have, it just means it's the more successful that I am. And I I really just stay super focused on what it is that Lee Event Group is delivering or any other facets, We Rise Experience or the We Rise Space, uh, and just making sure that we're focused on our end goal and not focused on what, you know, other other people think or feel. I want to get into like some of the more of the inner workings of running an event too. Like for instance, getting allocated a budget and balancing that. What are some of the challenges that you've had when running an event? And what are some of the lessons you've learned that you can share with the audience? So some of the challenges um, I think that I've had uh, and even still very frequently is just the educational piece from the client. So the budgets that they're presenting are very 
Pinterest worthy or very, you know, website worthy in terms of what they want, but they don't, they're not educated, quote unquote, on the industry to know what the pricing is. So it's, you know, what they want versus what they, you know, they're willing to put money into is vastly different. Some other challenges as well have been like competition. You know, although I'm very focused on what it is that I'm doing, event to start as an event planner, you don't, it's not a large overhead. You don't need Mm -hmm. a lot of money to do it. Essentially, you need a laptop you know, and a couple of programs, and then you can be an event planner, Mm -hmm. you know? So I found in the last few years, there's been a, you know, an abundance of event planners coming out into the market and really trying to stay above that because they're focused on price and being low. And then the seasoned professionals were seasoned. So Mm -hmm. we have our, you know, we actually have overhead, we have payroll, we have accountants, we have lawyers, we have, you know, things that we have to account for that they don't. So the price is vastly different. And I think another thing is really just um, really kind of staying true to your niche, you know, like, how do you stay above that competition? How do you stand out above the rest? That's a challenge in itself, because you are you're always evolving, essentially, as an event planner, right? Mm -hmm. And you want to try to make yourself remain a leader I don't really like that word leader but let's say remain a leader stay on top stay on top that's it (laughs) why would you like leader because I feel like everyone's capable of being a leader and I feel like leader is just so it signifies like one person and I feel like there's there's many people that are on top and are doing great things it doesn't necessarily have to be one person Mm. gosh it's almost like like people have their own zones of genius yeah so it's hard to call one person a leader when you have to default to someone else's leadership in their zone of genius. Mm-hmm. Got you. Got well you, put, right. bro. <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> Shout out to Isaac. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, all right. So let's get into WeWise experience. <laughs> you know, I feel like that has been like, cause even though you've grown the event business, it feels that WeWise experience has been like one, almost like a staple, like a flagship brand for you. Is that safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so walk us through the inception of it. I started We Rise Experience because I wasn't surrounded by like-minded women. I felt like I was rowing a boat by myself. I found that it was very difficult to find the support system that I need. And what I mean by that is I don't mean support from family and friends. I mean support from industry professionals or others that are doing other entrepreneurs. And not everybody is going to have the mindset, the level of aggression and, you know, being assertive and being a go-getter, you know, there's a lot of introverts. There's a lot of people that, you know, may have different things happening in their lives that they don't have access to like these resources that they need, or it may be a deterrent. They've done, you know, they lack research, researching skills and they've started to research and they can't find what they're looking for. And they're like, ah, I'm just going to throw my hands up kind of scenario. So I said, okay, hmm, you are a leader, there goes that word again, Um, and you have access to a lot of the notables, you know, within the city. They've either been your clients, they're your friends, or um, you've done some type of partnership with them. And you have a plethora of clients that are entrepreneurs um, that are not in the same world. So Teresa, you have the ability to fuse these two worlds. You have the ability to pick up the phone and have people in the same room. You have the ability to create a universal hub for women, black women, allowing them to garner this access um, and these resources and these tools basically by just going to one source. So I woke up one day 
And I literally grabbed a blank piece of paper and started figuring out how I was going to make this happen. We Rise experience initially was We Rise brunch. So it was just a brunch. There was like an era a few years ago where there was a lot of women's brunches, you we, know. We so trying to be like Rock Nation brunch. Right? <laughs> Hopefully one day I can get there. Um, we Rise brunch is going to be competing. Right. For some <laughs> said, Did you get into the We, we Rise brunch? brunch? Right, right. You know? And so um, I started it with the whole ideology just bringing women together mm-hmm. and allowing them to have a safe space to just, you know, garner the knowledge that they needed, um, make connections with these two worlds that I was mm-hmm. referencing, and just allowing for even just one day feel like they were deserving of this space and, and of this community. And I had done a poll maybe about two weeks before um, the first We Rise, and I received like 95% of people saying, you cannot stop this, you have to keep it going. So I was like, oh, I was just going to do it like the one time. I'm yeah. super busy. I, I don't have the time and energy to drive into, you know, We Rise Um at the time brunch anyways i did some more brainstorming i decided um that i was going to rename it so we rise experience because that's what everyone had referenced post um we rise let's say the first one that mm-hmm. it was just an experience for them and um that unfortunately covid hit and it slowed us down but i was grateful for it because it slowed me down to the point that it allowed me to think very clearly every move that i make has to be intentional and thought out especially when i'm tapping into or creating a community for women that look like me mm-hmm. so during that time i really kind of thought about some of the challenges that women were bringing to my attention during COVID, they were starting businesses. They didn't have access to funding. They couldn't find grant writers. They were like, do we need a business plan or not? Where do I find a mentor? I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with mental, like, you know, wellness issues because I'm stuck in home all day with my kids or I'm trying to juggle work-life balance. Now I'm forced to work from home. Like all of these things were just coming into my inbox um, because I do mentor Um, You know, I don't mentor just event planners, but, you know, business professionals in in a whole. And so it allowed me to like rebrand, rethink about the moves that I wanted to make. And then I launched We Rise Experience. Mm -hmm. So essentially, We Rise Experience is the first of its kind. There's been a lot of, you know, women groups, but this is the largest black women's business summit in the country. So it is currently self-funded. But, you know, if I'm rowing that boat, I know eventually I'm going to get some people that will, you know, pour into me as I'm pouring into others. Um, But that's the focus and that's We Rise Experience. Mm -hmm. This podcast is brought to you by Nyorai Cellars. If you didn't know, Nyorai Cellars is the only Black-owned wine company in Canada. Right now, I'm holding the Rosé, the 2021 Rosé bottle. This drink is amazing. I mean, it's perfect for those dishes such as seafood where you're cooking shrimp, you're having some pasta, whatever it is you're having, grab a bottle of Nyorai Cellars, the rosé. If you're having a date night with your significant other, you know what to grab, grab the Nyorai. Whatever it is, grab the Nyorai. I mean, you will not go wrong with this wine. It's perfect for everybody. If you've never drank wine, this is a great bottle for you. Or even if you're a wine expert, you're an aficionado and you drink everything. I mean, you cannot go in your eye. I'm telling you, this wine is really, really good. And even though I'm boosting it this hard, is because I really love drinking it and I'm someone who loves to drink wine. So whatever it is, whatever the special occasion, check on your ride. They have Sauvignon Blancs. They have Rieslings. I'm holding the Rosé right now. They have a wide variety of different collections of different wines you can choose from. Make sure to check them out. 
The link is going to be in the description. Check them out, order a crate for yourself, or you can uh, send a gift to someone that you want to gift um, some wine to. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. So in your rye sellers, check them out. Link will be in the description. And I'm back to the show. So what was that like first wow moment for you when launching V-Rise Experience? Just the gratitude that I was feeling and getting from these women that I don't even know that were just genuinely excited, genuinely feeling fulfilled, genuinely feeling that they were in a space that they could, you know, garner this knowledge, you know, genuinely feeling like they now have tools to, you know, pick up the momentum in their business. So definitely that gratitude um, was very overwhelming for me, but it was very satisfying. And I think that would be my first wow, wow moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting? It's almost like your life changes when you're faced with adversity. Like when you got cancer, that's when you decided, all right, I'm going to go into event groups and have an event business. Then when COVID hits, you start a We Rise experience and then you move into that. It's almost like when you hit with adversity, you kind of just say, all right. You rise to the occasion. <laughs> no pun intended. No, I never thought of it like that, but that's, a, yeah, I never, I, I really never considered that, but that's a really good point. You know, because they both kind of sat you down the same kind of way. It's kind of a lot of parallels there, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I just had to say that. It's yeah. in my mind. Thank oh, you. Yeah. So with We Rise Experience, you know, you go from a brunch to like a summit, a conference, yes. right? There's so much that has to happen to bring it to that level, mm-hmm. right? Let's let's talk about that because there's a big, there's a big jump that happens, right? And I think there's a lot of lessons in that. So walk us through that process. For instance, how much was a brunch to start with, and how much was the experience? So I think the uh, initially for the brunch we were charging a hundred dollars. Yep. $100 for general admission awesome. and I think 150 or 175 for VIP. Yeah. Okay. And then the experience, uh, because COVID hit, and again, going back to my number sense, I didn't want to come out of the gate being astronomically expensive. So I knew that if I had to take an L, I would because I'm I'm giving back to a worthy cause. Um, so essentially, I think we, this year for 2023, we were two, I think 200, 250 for general admission and 400 for VIP, something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and is that is that the only business model of just straight ticket sales? Or is there other ones like sponsors, things of that nature? So there's different facets. I mean, I do have in-kind sponsors. I did have some other small business sponsorship by Monetary um, that stepped up to the plate and, you know, offered, you know, a, a small amount to contribute to different aspects of the business. We did introduce merchandise this year, but I gave that away to the VIPs. I just wanted to kind of dabble and see what mm-hmm. the feedback would be um, before I reintroduced it into the community and even even into the next summit. That's the extent of it right now, other than obviously some affiliate marketing, um, some social media marketing, et cetera. But next year we are like really pulling out the big guns. So we've started selling tickets already and no one knows the date. They don't know the location. I'm in the pre-sale form and we're 62% sold out already. I have no VIP tickets left. So it's just general admission that I would be opening up to the public. Everyone wants to be a VIP. Everybody wants to VIP. Well, the VIP for me is very intimate yeah. because I create a very elevated experience for the mm-hmm. VIPs. So I usually cap that at around 50 people-ish. And then the general admission, obviously, there's there's more that goes into that. Mm-hmm. I think a great thing to do would be like maybe even make different tiers of the VIP, right? So it's like, hey, like, okay, this is VIP level one. You can do this. 
two, three, and four. So everyone still gets that VIP experience, mm-hmm. but there's just like different trigger points. Like, okay, you pay more tracks as this, maybe just not one track. Just something I'm thinking about, like when you're talking about VIP and it's only 50 available. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I think it's going to be really hard to manage. Yeah. It becomes a, a, a huge undertaking mm-hmm. um, from an operational and logistics perspective. I do want to say that WeRise experience is an elevated experience. So even the general admission, they are getting far more than any other summit that I've seen in the country. So we're, I mean, given the fact that I'm an event planner, I'm very focused on that experience and customer satisfaction. So I think a lot of unquote my summit competition because I mean I have to do market research right mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm of staying course. competitive and and valuable um, I think a lot of my competitors quote unquote probably just have like a light lunch or a buffet lunch and maybe some tea and coffee all day they get a couple of speakers and they might get a swag bag if they get a swag bag for we rise experience we're serving breakfast lunch and we have a full like late night buffet plus you're getting headlining speakers celebrity headlining speakers that were flying in from the US And we're featuring the top, you know, let's say entrepreneurs in the city, Mm -hmm. plus they're getting gift boxes, plus they're getting candles, plus they're getting swag bags. You're like Oprah at this point. You're like, you get a bag, you get a car, you get whatever. That's what someone said this year (laughs) to me. I'm like, definitely not Oprah, but yeah, hopefully one day. But yeah, so it's very, very impactful and everything is strategically done from a design perspective. So great suggestion, but I just don't think it would work logistically. Mm. Yeah, you've been in the event space for like so long what's like one logistical nightmare even as experienced as you are that you're always constantly wondering man like this cannot happen this cannot happen you've had so many runs at it but it still scares you till the day even whatever event you're doing there's so many scenarios I can think of. I would say probably not investing money in key vendors. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at, you know, all what all event types, not just weddings specifically, I find that, you know, we'll use media, for example. Media has grown cost-wise significantly over the last few years. You know, you used to be able to get a photographer at a relatively decent price, and then cinematography, same thing. But now, the media teams, quote-unquote, as we refer to them, they've stepped their game up. You know, you're getting same-day edits. You're getting, you know, a lot more social media. They're dumping out social media because sometimes people for events want social media as well. And so they're not seeing the value as in the client, Mm -hmm. is not seeing the value in having a strong media team present. So they cut back or they skimp on it and Nine out of 10 times, it's a nightmare because mm-hmm. you don't like your photo. You definitely can't do anything about your photos. At least if you don't like cinematography, they, they might have the raw, you know, and then you can kind of edit and play with it. But You can salvage it a little right, bit. Right, yeah. but for photos, like when you cheap out on a photographer, then that's your one time shot. Yeah. So there's a lot of stories I can give you, but I would say that would probably be one of, is just the fact that mm-hmm. clients don't see. And again, it goes back to the educational piece, right? They're not aware of what the costs are in the industry. So they just said, ah, that costs $3,000. That's too much money. Not seeing that that $3,000 is actually low for a photographer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not even expensive. Yeah. What about external variables that might happen, right? Because you can plan for an event. You're like, okay, this is going to be a hit. But there's also some leakage there that you got to account for. Like this could happen. So what's your process of setting up contingency plans when you're launching something for Friday? If it doesn't work, okay, we have this as a backup plan or something like that. 
Hmm, good question. I think it just depends on the event specifically. You know, we have to have a plan B in place or a contingency in place for certain things. Example, if somebody's doing an outdoor mm-hmm. event, you know, and if we use a tent as an example, sometimes people will just get a canopy, not a tent. There's a very, there's a big difference between the two. They don't have sides. They don't have flooring. They don't have fans. Like there's just so many other things to consider. So often what we will do because we've, we're so seasoned is we often have our own vendor accounts. So what we will do or myself or someone on the team will do is arrange to have that on standby. So in the event that we need it, it goes onto our account. We can recoup the money from the client after, but at the end of the day we're just we have the plan b so if we have to pull the trigger a couple days before we can let them know um sometimes we don't have a couple of days sometimes you know clients may not have the budget to give us back that contingency and it's like it's pouring rain and you have an outdoor event what do we do you know at that point we just have to work a miracle and try to figure it out but i think it starts with the inception of the planning process and really just identifying what the client wants what's their must-haves what's their negotiable and really guiding them in the right direction so that we don't, if at most point, don't have to rely on a plan B. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to keep it a buck with me. Keep it a buck. Mm-hmm. What was one of your horror stories where like, I cannot believe this is happening? It's like a fire festival. Listen, it's right there. I know <laughs> it's right there in your head. <laughs> Talk, tell us right now. It is like a fire festival. We, I should have known this too. We had a client um, that contracted us about two months before their event. And they were doing, let's say a summit for context. And the story was they had gotten rid of, you know, some of their vendors because, you know, they just weren't working to their expectations. It was a huge opportunity at the time that I thought. So I had taken it. Didn't think that there's red flags. Why did you fire your planner? Why did you, you know, all of these scenarios. Get to find out that the event is happening and literally nobody's paid. So I'm getting calls on the Monday. The event is on Saturday and people are like, we're not paid. So we're not showing up or people are coming to our office because things are being delivered like products. And they're saying like, you guys can't use these products because they haven't been paid for. So the client has to pay someone else that money. Lawyers calling on behalf of vendors because their clients haven't been paid. It was just a complete mess. And the client basically overextended themselves and just didn't have the means to be able to fulfill. Correct. And the onus fell on us because we're the planners. We're the go-to. What I mean by that is like the planners take the short end all the time because we're the ones that are, they're assuming that we know everything, right? Mm. They're not realizing that when you're doing an event, the responsibility of payment is from the client, not from me. That's something that's in my contract. So I don't exchange money on behalf of the client. And a lot of the times the vendors are not aware of that. So they assume that we knew that the client didn't have the money Mm -hmm. and we're a part of the fiasco. And do you have like some sort of insurance? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And also your own lawyers too to back you up. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. I mean, lawyers are are very critical, even for WeRise Experience, for example. Um, My lawyer was there, although she wasn't there in like a public, hey, I'm the representative. You know what I mean? I had her there. I paid her to be there for the day so that if any anything went south with any of my like headliners I had her right there already 
mm-hmm. you know, because there's different contracts. And I think people don't really think about that. A lot of times people will just go on Google and they'll look up like a, you know, a photography or event planner or just like a template. And when you become very seasoned and you start dealing with like corporations and celebrities, whether they're A, B, C or D list celebrities, you really have to take a different look at the documents that you have and what you're providing because mm-hmm. those templates are just not going to do it. Mm. And like for your vendors, right, you have a very rigorous process for choosing your employees. Do you have that same process for your vendors, like deciding who's going to be representing my team at this spot we're doing this event at? Yeah. So at the beginning, obviously not really, you know, when you're new in the industry, you're just trying to work with everyone. Like take what you can get. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think at that point I was just kind of like focused on making connections, not really again, focused on the quality. A lot of the vendors that I work with now are repeat or repetitive because if, what do they say? If it's not broke, it doesn't fix it. it, Right. So, um, but a lot of the vendors that I do work with right now are leaders, you know, are top of their category. And that's because I'm not prepared to compromise quality. So if I'm working with somebody new or like a client is saying, hey, I want to work with ABC company, I will do the vetting process, you know, that we have. And we have, um, it's not as detailed as hiring somebody for it to work with me, but we certainly have an internal vetting process that we will go through. I'm also a part of a lot of like event planning associations. So there are a lot of like groups and like monthly meetings that I have with other event planners and we're sharing knowledge, stories, situations with each other and it allows us to stay very well versed on what's happening in the community and it also kind of gives us a snippet to vendors like if someone had a bad experience they share it with us and then I'm like "Mm, okay you're off the list because that's not happening to Mm. me so that's like that Facebook dating group (laughs) have you heard about that (laughs) so essentially women are just like talking about guys they've been on dates with he's like oh "Oh, like yeah i went on a date with this guy he does this he does that don't go out with him so you can be like on a dating let's say app but you might be getting exposed secretly to thousands of people and you don't even know about it but i just thought i should just mention that because it kind of sounded similar i know it has nothing to do with events but that just a spur pretty interesting though <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. just a spur of the moment yeah, that's okay. yeah, I, feel you, I feel you um now people came up to me too like i was at work and it's like have you heard of this dating group thing yeah yeah it's a, it's a whole thing thank god it's I'm a fiasco dating. i hear god. it's good you're married you know right, like right, it's, it's a wild wild west out here trees i'm telling you oh my goodness yeah <laughs> Thank God. Yes, yes. Sorry, yes. guys, if you're single, but. Oh. <laughs> well, well it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know. <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> Yo, we're going to take it from Isaac a while. Uh, yeah. I'm still running with it. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> All right. So, as real close wrapping up, I want to dive deep into tips for small event creators. Because here's the thing you mentioned it earlier. All you really need right now is a laptop, and you're an event creator right so for people that are creative entrepreneurs and they want to do their first event what are some pitfalls that you regularly see that you can say hey please avoid this I would say not being prepared. So when you start as an event planner in the event industry, just take the time to prepare yourself. Even if you're a solopreneur, you know, get your templates, your documents, your process, come up with some type of little business model of like what it would be like when a client onboarding a client, getting them together, etc. exiting a client. Definitely seek mentorship would be another one. You know, don't be afraid to ask, you know, shoot somebody an email or DM 
whatever you're comfortable with and just say like, hey, I'm new and I'd like to potentially shadow you or learn. If you don't have the the money to, to pay a mentor or coach, then I would say number three is intern. You know, just do an internship. There's always opportunities to do that in terms of like the event industry or a creator in whole. Make connections. Mm. Yeah, definitely make connections because if you make those strategic connections, then the right individuals will pull you up. So I know that we're talking about pitfalls, but at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that you are preparing yourself and not the lack of preparation is a pitfall in itself. The lack of asking is a pitfall in itself. The lack of, you know, networking is a pitfall in itself, right? So you want to make sure that you're not not doing those things. And, and what about for the mental side of things? Because events is, is stress. It's Very. juggling a lot of things, managing people. Uh, what's your advice to those people starting out and compartmentalizing things? This is this, this is that. And to have like a smooth process moving forward. I think you need to set boundaries, healthy boundaries for yourself and know when you need to shut off. I think although I'm from the old school method and just kind of hustling all the time, I think hustling can also be very counterproductive and it can also be very detrimental to your mental health. So really just making sure that you are setting the boundaries that you need for yourself to have that mental balance. I would also say too, it's really important to have like an industry bestie. Having somebody that's outside of your spouse that you can really share stories with and conversation with that is has that relatability is very important or even if you want to share creative elements with them it's always great to confide in your spouse but if your spouse is not in your industry they can't relate to what's actually happening Mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily helpful to you so everybody needs that one person in the industry that they really can um, lean on yeah and keep you accountable too absolutely Mm -hmm. because a lot of people even your spouse they it might be hard for them to give you criticism like yeah it's great yeah 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 right but i'm like ah you need to hear it Mm. someone needs to give it to you like tough like tough love i'm like yeah you know trace you're you're messing up on this yes i have my industry bestie she tells me all the time to step it up (laughs) you don't want to get the chicken soup question chicken soup question you know what i'm talking about chicken soup questions a little bit yeah a little bit i know the i know the the reference yeah yeah the reference comes from uh boy meets world Mm -hmm. you know i don't know if y'all remember boy meets world with topanga mr feeney mr feeney and he that asked, guy was like uh, Yoda. That's a fact. He was definitely Yoda. I'm like, he asked his his his, uh, his wife at the time, or a woman he was seeing, "How's my chicken soup?" Oh well, no, the woman asked him, "How's his chicken soup?" And he was like, "Oh, it's it's pretty good. It's okay." And you never saw her again because <laughs> it was a chicken soup question. You know, mm. she was expecting a specific answer in order to you yeah. know feel accepted by him. You know, but that's neither here nor there. It's worth wrapping up. What's the future for We Rise Experience? We Rise Experience is going to be national. We are starting in Toronto, but we intend to take it across any of the, all of the major cities that have a large black population. We also are going to expand to a weekend summit. So we won't just be one day, we'll be multiple days. As well as we are dabbling with the idea of opening it up for men as well. We've had a a lot of interest, you know, from our brothers that are just really interested in being a part of We Rise Experience. And listen, it's, men are very, critical piece in our life you know um and so i think that it's important that we're all getting this knowledge and these gems and this experience and the we rise space 
that's going to allow us to continue to pour into the community all year. I think that, you know, as impactful as We Rise Experience Summit is, it is only one day. And I want to continue to pour into my community and provide them with, you know, the tools and the resources that they need throughout the entire year. So having this space exclusive for us is is, is really going to be great. Mm, and uh, I know you're in L.A. and, of course, Toronto. Yes. Which city, in your opinion, is more vibey? For <laughs> Matt said vibey. Vibes. <laughs> I was not saying vibes from the question at all. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It's a vibey. Um, I would have to say LA. La La Land? Wow. <laughs> Where's the loyalty trees? <laughs> Loy- I listen, I'm a proud Canadian, but it's just a different um it's a different vibe. Mm. It's a different vibe in LA. Hollywood Hills, celebs. Yeah, it's just a different vibe, yeah. Mm. The and views. that U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar goes far. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. Awesome, yo. Um, so, listen, we're definitely going to pull up to We Rise Experience, man. Listen, I'll, I've been looking. I've been support. the club. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> looking like, dang, all those women in there. It looks, kind, it like, looks quite in, nice. Let me in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I'm happy We're going to have to separate the guys from the girls if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even saying it like that. I wasn't even saying it. I was just saying it looks, it looks like there's a lot of professionals in there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I like to network with. Yes, even that could be taken. Like, oh. uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, people slide in on LinkedIn now, eh? Like, oh, LinkedIn. really? Yeah. I've heard this. Yeah, LinkedIn yes, is. Uh, I've heard this. Is, is the yes. new dating app. Look, think about it, man. Like, okay, you see a like a very attractive woman, educated, has a good job, right? In proximity, it's like, hmm, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> awesome. I've never, I've never done a LinkedIn slide, but. Hey, I've heard it's happening. And some people find love on LinkedIn. Okay. Yes. yes well yes. then. All right. All right. Well, where can people find you? You can find me on Teresa Lee Brown on Instagram. My first, middle, and last name for my website, Lee Event Group, um, on Instagram and on TikTok and on Facebook and website. And for We Rise Experience, for We Rise Experience on Instagram, website, as well as Twitter. I think Amazing. I covered them all. Amazing. Too many brands. With that being said, the hustle is what you can't control. So control your grind and control your life. I'm Alex. And I'm Ono Sinde. And I'm Teresa. That's the show, y'all. Peace. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Make sure you visit hustleovereverything.co and cop some fire merch that we have in the store. And then we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>